I'm Aaron. This is Paul. And this is Wayne. Well, you know, we are past uh, Turkey Day, and, uh, you know, I, I, our holiday was a little adjusted, you know, because we didn't have the uh, swarm of family uh, to, to celebrate with. We, uh, you know, had you're, a much You're rather antisocial to begin with, so did, did was it, it really that much it, different for you? It was actually because my wife is a social butterfly. Fair. <laughs> yeah, she she, uh, she requires that I spend time with family on Thanksgiving, and uh, you know, I, whereas you know, I, I would be fine if I never saw any of them sons of bitches again. <laughs> <laughs> so you so you had to handle all the talking. Oof, That's poor right. Aaron. That's right. Yeah, it was, you it still was seem to make your uh, was it orange bourbon orange pecan pie. Orange bourbon pecan pie. Yeah, that yeah, looks you know, the, the, so good. Yeah, he made one for fucking Mikey Mason, but hasn't made it to us. We've been podcasting for 10 years. You recorded one season of Rainsboro with Mikey Mason, and he I'd gets like a to point out pie. he got that pie before Ghosts of Rainsboro. <laughs> oh, that makes it better. <laughs> Maybe that's why he agreed to join us for Ghosts of Rainsboro. Right. We tasted the pie. You know, he 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 uh, made a comment about one of my pies on Instagram, and I said, hey, I'll bring you a pie at Fear the Con. So I brought him a pie at Fear the Con. That's what I did. <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> I'm sorry. But yeah, uh, we, we did make the uh, the orange bourbon pecan pie, and uh, it is awful good. Um, I am about to make, as soon as the last slice of uh, the pecan pie is served, I'm going to be making a cinnamon whiskey pumpkin pie. Uh-huh. Didn't want to have two pies going at the same time since it was just the two of us, but... Uh, I'm going to need me some uh, cinnamon whiskey. All right, talk pumpkin. to talk to me about the cinnamon whiskey. Are you using Fireball or are you using I am. some other? I am Fireball. Fireball. Yeah, oh, if oh. you could edit in the the Pitbull Fireball drop here, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Just FYI to our to our listeners, that didn't happen. <laughs> Just so you know. Just so you know. You know what else didn't happen? Oh wait, are we still talking about Thanksgiving? Because I have something yep. else to talk about. Something else. Something important. Fake news is what I have to talk about today, Aaron. <laughs> fake Uh-oh. news. Fake, hashtag fake news. Hashtag fake news. So yesterday, or whatever, sometime this week. We, let, me, let, me, let me start over. Last week on Funny Books with Aaron and Polly, and I'm not going to edit it in. I'm just going to summarize gonna edit it. You're going to edit in the drop or edit in the drop previously on Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we had talked ad, ad, ad nauseum about uh, episode something, seven, I think, of uh, Marvel 616 on Disney+, Plus, uh, the Marvel Method, which talked a lot about Dan Slott and the creation of Iron Man 2020 issue one. We talked about Pete Woods and Pete Woods um, kind of tra- traveling the country, walking the earth, as it were, in his Airstream and doing his comic, you know, his comic drawing on his iPad Pro. So um, this week, Pete Woods took to social media and called shenanigans not full shenanigans he says he you know him and his wife do in fact um you know after the kids moved out uh did take the opportunity to um pack everything in a small storage unit bought a new truck and an rv um that rv is not an airstream they do not travel the world they 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 are pretty rather stationary um in their rv Well, only through coronavirus that he did show his map where he's been true yeah uh, you know coast to coast Fair, yeah, fair. he was traveling the world, but now he's bunkered down in Texas. And that's not really the place you want to be during a uh, pandemic. Fair, fair. 
Well, and he, he's down towards the border, so I, I think what he's really ready for is uh, when the zombie apocalypse breaks out, he's heading to safer tor- territory in, in the uh, yeah. you know uh, lower lower uh, you know. Uh, God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> too, too much of that. Too much of that cinnamon whiskey this morning, well, huh? I will say that there is rum in my coffee this morning, and it is my third cup. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say he's running was, to Mexico. Yeah, yeah Southern yeah. Hemisphere. Well, or, or maybe he's just camping out, waiting for that cinnamon whiskey, whatever, whatever, whatever pie. Cinnamon whiskey pecan pie or pumpkin pie? Pumpkin yeah. pie. Yeah. Um, so it was fascinating reading his comments on Twitter, because well, first of all, he does the thing with Twitter where this is a essay basically and it should have been a blog post and not uh broken up into like like 60 different tweets (laughs) but he talks about how you know the airstream is one that they'd actually looked at and it's really cool and it's way nicer than what they have and they actually have something much older yeah, and they're they saving up their money to get the airstream. Yeah. The producers decided to rent a truck and trailer to simulate the experience because um, they were filming. He has cats. Yeah, he has cats. And they wanted yeah. to film this on a beach in Malibu. Um, and they didn't want the, you know, the cats to be part of the issue. So uh, he, he went to filming and they got a top of the line airstream or and a different truck, a Ford truck. And he's he's a Dodge guy. Yeah, like I'd ever drive a Ford, he says. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I was, it's funny, I, I was thinking about our conversation last week, and in particular around Pete Wood. And, you know, one of the ways that artists in comics supplement their income is by selling their pages after, you know, the comics have been scanned by the publisher. He didn't have any pages to sell. I wonder, yeah. I wonder how that impacts him. He can do prints though, but and that's they not the same. Digital the commissions, same, they probably. Can, yeah, they can make money from prints and like si- signing them, but not yeah. this year. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, I just you know when you look at original comic art pages, you know the, those are generally wind up being a pretty steady stream of income mm-hmm. for the artist. And I'm just it's like, huh, I wonder how that works for him because obviously, I mean, if you're doing, you know, certainly yes, you can do prints. But that's going to reimburse you a, a lot lower than selling right. original pieces of art. Yeah, I'm going to assume it's digital commissions and prints. So, well, Paul he also lives in an airstream. Oh, he doesn't. He, he doesn't live in a fancy airstream. So, yeah, maybe he doesn't need that much money. Well, it was fascinating. But still, we talked about how he basically they sold everything they own and just got a little storage unit to leave a few things behind, and that's how they bought the the trailer and all of that. Yeah. Mm. So, so you know, we we found out that you know a portion of uh, uh, of the the six one six show with Dan Slott and Pete Wood was staged, right? Yeah. And so, you know, does that mean that uh, Dan Slott is not an undisciplined, unprofessional writer? Is that well, what that means? I will say, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. A number of people have come to Dan's defense this week. To yeah, say it, that, it was know. it was kind of a swarm. You know, we recorded last Saturday. And, you know, by the time Monday rolled around, it was a, a swarm on Twitter around, you know, what what was uh, portrayed on, on the sh- on the show about Dan Slott and his work ethic. Yeah, he was raked over the coals and then a bunch of people came to support him. Oh, and they're like, you know, if you actually think that Dan Slott can turn in the, 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 the plot of a book two days before publication, 
then you, you're kidding yourself. And I'm like, but that's the way it's portrayed in the... That's right. <laughs> in the, what's yeah. the, in what's the, the point of what they portrayed then? Yeah. Like just yeah, to, I, it, it didn't re- it's, it, to inspire fake drama because it wasn't like a suspenseful moment. You know, it's not like it was hold the presses. It was, you know, it's meant as a as a documentary with some humor to it. So I don't know what the intent of that of showing that um, was. That yeah, if it was if it was really faked, it makes me feel a little better because Dan Slott didn't act like a person. Right, he acted like an over the top character, and the whole thing felt like character assassination. Yeah, so I, I just you know it, it, it's basically the entire the entire week since the release of that episode has been about disproving everything in that episode, right. uh, which I, you know, I find very interesting because you would think that Dan Slott, Tom, Tom Brevert, Pete Woods, and all those guys, upon filming or seeing the script or seeing maybe they didn't see the episode prior to its premiere, would say, huh. I really come across bad in that episode. Oh, right. right. <laughs> or we really so, seem like a bunch of buffoons. So I watched episode eight. Um, actually, okay. and I watched episode eight before I watched seven because I thought eight was the one I was supposed to watch. <laughs> the truth <laughs> revealed. But uh, episode eight is was fascinating to me. Um, it, it is about a high school producing two Marvel original plays Uh, one about uh, Squirrel Girl and one about Captain Marvel I'm sorry Ms. Marvel and it was these big one was a beginning drama class the other one was an advanced uh, drama class and I was fascinated from beginning to end number one I didn't know I didn't realize that Marvel was producing one act plays for production in the high school setting Um, I'm fascinated by that you know, it also you know played to my uh, my my inner geek of uh, I was a, I was a, a theater nerd back in high school, and you know so I was I was you know into it from that, but I was also into it from like I really think this is a great way for Marvel to indoctrinate people into you know uh, the into the genre. Have have either of y'all watched that episode? No. No. It's really good. Is it, I watched I, one I, of the other episodes and just decided I don't care about the show. Yeah, well, I, I'm certainly not interested in some of the other episodes, but you know, I, I was glad that I watched the you know, even though I watched it by mistake, I was really glad I watched it. I don't think I would have sought it out. Uh you know, I, but the fact that that, you know, I, I watched it, it was it was really time well spent. I enjoyed that really rather a lot. Well, and I love comic book related documentaries, but I yeah. I find that these the way these are produced are <laughs> funny enough less like documentaries, more like scripted shows, right? Well, I, I, yeah. and that's what's concerning about what they did in the Dan Slott episode. Mm-hmm. You know, the Marvel method. You know, I find it amusing that in their documentary, it's far more scripted than a Marvel than the Marvel method. You know, actually allows. <laughs> <Fair point. laughs> But, uh, so. you know, I, I know we talk a lot about Disney Plus on this show uh, just because, it, you know, we're, we're knee deep into Mandalorian season two. Um, and so yesterday, you know, the, I, I will say it was very nice to have yesterday off from work because I woke up, I went to the gym, I came home and I rewatched the previous episode of Mandalorian, episode 12, or chapter 12, I should say, and then hopped right directly into chapter 13 the, well, hold on. Before let me let me say, 
we're going to spoil this. So, if you don't want to hear any of it, skip ahead probably about 10 minutes. Um, because chapter 13 of Mandalorian is titled The Jedi. Which is, is, is fake news, because Ahsoka's not a Jedi anymore. She was disbanded from the Jedi Order, so I'm calling shenanigans on the title. But whatever. They did invite her back, but she turned them down. Yeah. She's awesome. She flipped them the bird. Um, so we, 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 we get the live-action debut of Ahsoka Tano um, and you know as, as well as connections to uh, a number of different Star Wars media uh, including um, hints of Darth Reaven and um, obviously a, a name drop of Grand Admiral Thrawn oh, did, I mean I gotta tell you I, 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 I popped wood <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like holy crap well, and that's a uh, Rebels reference as well. Yeah, that because he was a major character in the last two right. seasons of Rebels. So, Aaron, I have a question for you because I know you are not, and I do, I don't mean this in a derogatory manner. Actually, I mean this. You know, I, I'm asking you from a from a genuine standpoint. Um, you're not a Rebels or Clone Wars aficionado. You know, I know Wayne and I have seen both shows. With, I, I apologize. You cut out there for me, uh, Paul. Oh, no. I said, I know you're not a Clone Wars or Rebels aficionado. You know, I know Wayne right. and I have seen both shows. How do you feel about season two of Mandalorian being so immersed in the Clone Wars Rebels continuity? Because there, it, it, this is like four straight or five straight episodes of at least some reference to the major continuity. It has not bothered me one little bit. Okay. I wonder that, has, right? Because the season one very much kind of stands on its own, other than the dark saber reference. Well, you know, I, there are clearly moments in the show that I am aware that it's referencing something outside my experience, mm -hmm. right? Um, but it is not diminishing my enjoyment of the show. Okay, I, I did I, wonder I, that. I, you I know, I wonder that for it, people online who are not, because this was like this was just a sequel to, to, to Star Wars Rebels this episode almost. And I wonder, like, I'm watching it, I'm like, you know, if you haven't seen Star Wars Rebels, are you getting any... I mean, you know who Ahsoka Tano is, but do you care who Ahsoka Tano is? Yeah. Do you care about Grand well, Admiral Thrawn? Yeah, and I obviously don't have the attachment to Ahsoka Tano that you guys do. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I know who she is. I'm aware of her, and I'm also aware of Rosario Dawson, so... Uh, Rosario Dawson? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, but, you know, I'm familiar with uh, Thrawn from the novels, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I you know, I, I was super excited when I heard that. And, you know, now that I know that he was in uh, Rebels, I'm going to have to go back and finish watching that show. Because oh, I only watched the first two seasons. So well done in Rebels. Yeah, he kicked in in, in season three. And it's funny because you, you, you saw the first two seasons. And the last two seasons, I would say, are... The stronger of the two. Um, plus, you Very get the, so. um, you know, spoiler. It, I can't really spoil it. It's four years ago. Um, the, the conclusion of Darth Maul's story in, in season three mm -hmm. of Star Wars Rebels, which was pretty sweet. So, yeah. So, episode 13 of Mandalorian uh, features the reveal of Baby Groot. Baby Groot. I, was, I almost. <laughs> baby Yoda's name. Um, Grogu uh, is, is Baby Yoda's real name. Yep. We learned that he was in the temple being trained on Coruscant. Well, you know, I wonder if that's a hint at something more. 
Because they said someone hid him away. Yep. Who, who, who hid Baby Yoda? Yeah. And well, then and saved Baby Yoda to, later. Yeah, and they're leading towards, uh, you know, taking him somewhere to call out to the Force, and a Jedi may show up. So I'm really curious if it's going to be a new character or if we're going to see somebody. You know, it kind of amuses me when she when she told him to go do that. You know, she's like, go out there and, and, and you know, sit on this hill, make a call, see if somebody shows up. Yeah. How long is he supposed to wait there? Yeah, and he just, you know, like, he says, thank you. Yeah, is, it like like, an, no, yeah. is it like a no? We had a deal. Like, is it like an Uber app where he gets to see if a Jedi's coming? <laughs> you know, or is it going to be more like Favor, where the guy just shows up at some point? You know, you don't get the map. See, that's the, the thing about Uber is I really like. You know, if I'm ordering Uber Eats, I really like the Uber Eats app because I get to see where the driver is. You don't get to see that in Favor, and I think that's this is one of those Jedi Favor bullshit things, Paul. <laughs> I think well, Favor is run by Jedi. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I'm that, noticing this season there's a lot of characters showing up that I thought were going to be throughout the entire season that show up for like an episode. I have a feeling some of them are going to come back as we get to the end of the season. But I kind of like that in some ways, that we get to see them, they do their thing, and then they move off. And then we maybe come back to them later. Because I don't want this to become a big ensemble cast. I think it works really well just having, you know, Mando and uh, the Grogu. child. It seems to be that, uh, you know, it, it's it's like there's a character on every planet that he can go visit. You know, he's got a mm-hmm. we're, we're sort of developing his connections. Uh, one of the things that made me sad is is what a brief amount of time we got to spend with Michael Bean, Right. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, yay, he's here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I have to say this week, though, this I am a huge Ahsoka fan and finally getting to see a live action version of the character was just incredible. I thought they did a good job with her that, you know, she really was able to kick ass and it felt like the character. And after it, for me, it was a little bittersweet because I'm I know Aaron knows, uh, you know, friend I had Pat that died of pancreatic cancer. Mm hmm. I'm watching it and I'm just thinking how much he would have loved the show. Sure. And it's one of his favorite characters too. Uh, when he was dying, we reached out to Disney and we, we did a whole campaign and managed to get them to fly out and play the last Jedi for him in his bed. Oh, wow. And yeah, so it's a little bittersweet. It's like, I'm watching it. It's just so incredible. And it's like, he's in, he missed it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was. I, I I will say it was very much. Um, you know, they they've been hinting at it for for so long, and it's not. You know, people act surprised, but we all kind of knew that Rosario Dawson was going to be playing Ahsoka. You know, they 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 kind of let the cat out of the bag a while back, and it was, it was a. I thought a perfect rendition. I know people got all up in arms because it wasn't Ashley Eckstein. Um, but given the age of the character as she's portrayed in here uh, and the physicality of it, I thought there there was no better choice for that role than Rosario Dawson. And it was it, it was the episode was directed by Dave Filoni, you know, the creator of Clone Wars and Rebels and all that. And so I thought it was just fantastic. It was just so, a fantastic episode. And the Thrawn name drop just uh, the Thrawn it, name drop was huge. I caught I me out you. of nowhere. I should have yeah. I should have seen it because I know how Rebels ended, but. 
the name drop just threw me because I thought she was going to be hunting uh, Moff Tarkin. Same, yeah, you know, I, uh, I I thought for sure she was going after you know your black saber guy, and it, when it when they dropped Thrawn, you're just like, wow, that was that was a great oh. drop. Yeah, Moff Gideon, not Tarkin. Yeah, yeah. but I you know I, I think it's a great show. I I I really enjoy a show. It's it's something that uh, that I look forward to every week. Yeah. And to Wayne's point earlier about kind of these one-off episodes, I'm going to guess next week's episode is another kind of one-off. Uh, if it if it mirrors season one, which it kind of is, um, we'll get another kind of singular episode next week, um, and then the, the last two episodes of the season will will be like a two-parter. Um, so there's three episodes left this season. Yep. There's three episodes. Yeah. Left. I know we're already ha- we're already over halfway through. I believe next week's episode is directed by Robert Rodriguez. I want well, more. I gotta say, you know, we were having the conversation last week about uh, Carl Weathers as a director. Mm-hmm. Uh, ver- so you know, when you compare, and I know the scripts are different, mm-hmm. but when you compare the directing styles, I gotta tell you, Dave Filoni much more effective. Yep. You know, and I love me some Carl Weathers. I, you know, I was watching, uh, you know, Star Wars Galaxy. Is that what it's called? The the making of Mandalorian thing. Um, uh, the gallery. With, yeah, the gallery. Thank you. Um, I was watching that, and you know, I, I enjoy him. I enjoy Carl Weathers on the screen. I just don't think he's much of a director. Or at least he wasn't for that episode. I don't know what else he's directed, but uh, I, you know, he he is certainly great on screen. Not so much behind the camera, as far as I've seen. So and, and I know it's just one episode. Have either of you seen? Uh, I know it's on Netflix, the TV show Kim's Convenience. I've never even heard of this thing. No. So it's a Canadian show about uh, like a Vietnamese family, our Korean family, that moves to Canada. Well, anyway, the uh, the pilot from the X Wing last week was one of the main characters on that show, and I watched something on YouTube that was a behind the scenes making of. Basically, he was a huge Star Wars fan, and he had all of his own cosplay. And when they reached out to him and asked him, would you like to be on an episode? He's like, well, I've got all of these cosplays. They're like, great, we don't have to make our own costume. (laughs) So his X-Wing pilot costume was his own cosplay that he had already had and worn to conventions. Nice. I just thought that was really cool seeing these opportunity for people that have grown up with Star Wars. And he talked about how it was the first movie he remembered seeing in theaters with his dad. And now he got to go wearing his own costume and be part of the universe. And there's a lot of little things like that in these episodes where the background characters, they're frequently people that are longtime fans that have gotten the opportunity to be there. You know, and we can look at the end of the first season. They needed stormtroopers, so they called out the 501st. Yeah. You know, these are the super fans, and now they are officially in a Star Wars property. I just think that is so awesome as an opportunity for the fans to be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I hope they do another season of that uh, Disney gallery or Star Wars gallery or whatever. Um, Because I'm very curious. I mean, obviously. There's only but so much that they can do that's different than the first season, right? Because we've already learned about the volume. We've already learned about certain things. But I think there's enough meat on the bones in this season. Like, 
the Timothy Oliphant, the Ahsoka, you know, like they can talk about the references and the, the new directors, um, you know, and stuff like that. I, I, I really hope they do another season of that show. Cause I still think there's meat on the bone in this season. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good show. It's yeah. a good show. I'm enjoying it. But you know, uh, this week, uh, the, a, a much anticipated book, uh, came out from DC comics and, you know, you, you'll note that we're only talking about one comic book this week. Uh, and that is the other history of the DC universe. And, you know, this book sets out to tell a different perspective on, on, uh, the history of the DC universe seen through, uh, the eyes of Jefferson Pierce. Uh, that was otherwise- the first surprise for me was with all of these creators that they had associated with it. I thought it was going to be a lot of short stories. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was going to be one story from beginning to end. Yeah, and so, you know, issue one tells the story of Jefferson Pierce, a.k.a. Black Lightning, from the years 1972 to 1995. And, you know, sort of detailing a DC history where Superman debuts around 1975 or so, you know, where he he is first comes on the scene. And so everything that's happened in the current age of DC Comics happens post-1975. Um I will tell you, uh, this book was a chunk. <laughs> it is 44 comic pages long, and every page is full of text with illustration. And you know, at no point do you get dialogue boxes. Uh, yeah, I was surprised all, on that. It's, it's yeah, very it much a, a graphic novel. It's not. I, I would not call this a comic book in any sense of the word. Yeah, and well, and I will tell you, I, I think it was really good that. It, didn't come out in a week full of other comics, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there were certainly books that came out this week and that I bought, but because this was really sort of the big release this week, it was, uh, the first book I read. And I mean, I think I spent over an hour on this book, whereas yeah. typically I, you know, I'm done with a, with a 22 page comic in, you know, 15 minutes or so. Uh, this, this, how much was this book? Six bucks, seven bucks, Six ninety-nine. Yep. Um, the, I, you more than get your money's worth in terms of this book. Um, so I, I've, I've kind of, I've kind of laid out what this book is. I want you guys to, to start talking about, uh, what, how you responded to the book, what was there, uh, what got you going. So Wayne, kick us off. All right. So this took multiple readings for me, not multiple readings, but multiple sessions reading it. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying, it goes through the history of the DC universe. This stories version of the history because it's uh the history changes every couple years and right this is a specific chunk of time as i'm reading through early on i had some serious issues with a few tropes in the story and some of it they dealt with uh but i hate the trope of blaming the big superheroes for not dealing with every social issue that's something that's always bothered me the you know, well, Superman can do so much. Why isn't he coming down into these areas? And as the story kind of went on with that, I still have that that issue of Superman is not there to fix every social issue. But I also don't believe that Superman would avoid those areas of town. Mm-hmm. That's not Superman. And I think the story basically takes some liberties with other characters to tell the story it needs to tell. And 
it needs to tell that story. I mean, that is a very, it's a very, very powerful story. But I felt like in the beginning, it really undercut Jon Stewart. And they did come back and address him at least. But I felt they did that with Superman too. And then it got to the point of the Justice Society, or Justice League is testing him by dressing up as villains. And I thought that was stupid, but I looked at the time frame and I could see them actually doing that in the 70s comics. Well, and, and it was actually part of the uh, much of this comes out of various pieces of other comics. So that was actually in a Black Lightning comic. Right. Yeah, and that that doesn't surprise me at all. It's one yeah. of those things where I hated that story point, but I don't blame this book for that story point. Right. I blame the comics of that era for that story point, because that was just was a horrible thing to to do in a storyline. Yeah. But overall, it's hard. You can't read this book without feeling emotionally impacted because it is not just so dense. It's so well written, so strong. You get angry with him. Mm-hmm. You see the mistakes he's making before he sees them, but he eventually does see them and owns up to them. And it was his personal journey through this. Well, I had issues with some of the tropes. Again, some of them were, that was the stories at the time. Mm-hmm. If this were telling a modern story and used the same tropes, I would have more issues with it. Yeah, like if the Justice League did the dressing up as supervillains now. Right. It would really be, I would be really annoyed with it. So, Paul? I struggled with this book. Um, did you? I did. And if, if, so, at first, you know, I was I was prepared for a comic book. So, it did take me a few pages to get over the fact that this isn't, right? This is very much... Right. Um, yeah, it's a big transition. Yeah, and anyone who's, you know, relatively younger in age as a comic reader, which, <laughs> like, there's any of those left, um, huh. you know, d- t- you know, probably doesn't remember the Storanko days, because Storanko used to do books like this quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took me a bit, you know, because it's, it's certainly a style of comic... Funny enough, I should have known because it's called the other history of the DC of the DC universe, and the history of the DC universe is very much this format. Um, Mm -hmm. But I still wasn't prepared for it, right? Uh, So you know, very much takes the format of that original history of DC of the DC universe. Um, I struggled with the story, not so much in the, you know. Not so much from the standpoint of this is an African American history of the DC universe because you know it 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 it's really going to look at you know future issues will focus on Karen and Mel Duncan, um, Tatsu Yamashiro and Renee Montoya. So we're going to get kind of this uh, look at of the DC universe from other ethnicities, which I think is is really an interesting concept. Well, and I, I would emphasize other points of view because you know certainly other ethnicities, but also from Montoya, you're going to get the you know, LGBTQ. Yeah. Oh, fair point. Fair point. So, yeah. 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 And, and I'm, I'm assuming they're all going to be written by John Ridley. Um, you know, not just the first issue Uh, where I struggled with this first issue was more in the, in the writing. I'm going to be honest with you. Really? Um, you know, I, I found that the emotional weight of the book was lost to me in because of the style in which it was written there were two there were two moments that really connected with me emotionally um and it was the one the one page where um jefferson pierce is awarded teacher of the year i found that page mm-hmm. i mean that was that's you a good know, page that's lumping yeah. your throat 
right? Yeah. Um, the way it was written. And then, you know, the, the last few pages of the book where he finally connects, um, you know, with Jon Stewart I, and, and, you know, has that moment with Jon Stewart after he tries to kill himself, uh, after Jon Stewart tries to kill himself, after, you know, the events of Cosmic Odyssey. Um, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm going to stop you for just yeah. a second. The, the moment that really got me, the moment that, that was big lump in the throat uh, was, you know, he's questioning, you know, his work, you know, is he effective, that kind of thing. And he opens up the door on Halloween and there's a kid there dressed like Black Lightning. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, man, he got me. And, you know, the, the guy's, the kid's father's talking to him about, you know, how Black Lightning made the streets safe for his kid to come out on Halloween, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, Which, he says, that was a good moment, um, for sure. Brother, you know, he's, uh, he says, I asked the father, you don't mind your son dressing up as a vigilante? The man gave a little laugh. Mostly it was good-natured, but it also signified a little. Uh, Brother, he said, a year ago, it was too dangerous at night to even take our son trick-or-treating. Not anymore. Black Lightning did that. And I, that that's what got me. Yeah. I, 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 was, I thought it was great page for me I, where my disappointment in this book was was in the fact that they saved the character turn right the the hold on you know maybe maybe there maybe i misunderstood john stewart maybe i'm misunderstanding maybe i don't need to be angry at the world um and and instead find a way to to change it from within um, they saved that moment for the last three pages of mm-hmm. a 44 page book. And I yeah. feel like I would have rather seen that turn. Now, don't get me wrong. John Ridley, he's fucking won an Academy Award and I'm on a podcast, <laughs> um, you know, but I feel like I would have rather had that turn uh, halfway or three quarters of the way into the book so that we could spend more time with that Jefferson Pierce than in the Jefferson Pierce who's blaming everyone else. For the it is difficult to read a book when the main character is not likable and is off-putting. Well, and it's and, a first-person story, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's all you're you're with Jefferson Pierce the entirety of the book, and you never get to see Jefferson Pierce through anybody's lens other than his own, right? Yep. Uh, so yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It makes that difficult uh, to experience. Well, but I think to be clear, I think this was intended to be difficult read. Absolutely. Yeah. And I and I think that's what makes it particularly effective. Particularly, you know, I you're I am reading about a uh man's experience that I can only imagine. You know, here here I am, you know, a, a white guy of a certain age, uh a white straight guy of a certain age, and you know, I'm reading about a black man's experience in, you know, living and working in circumstances that I have no experience in. I got angry with him when he was talking about Jon Stewart early on. Right. As he's basically, there's no basically, he calls him an Uncle Tom. Right. That he's uh, basically treats him like a race trader, like uh, somebody who's there to just take orders. Yeah. He was the token hire for the Justice League. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember those early Jon Stewart stories, and that's why that made me so angry. It's like, that is not his character at all. He but that was the point, right? Like he did, he he saw it from an outsider's right. point of view, right? Well, but again, like you're saying, Paul, we don't get that until the last couple pages. Mm-hmm. So through the whole book, he's going on about a character that I remember that character's origins, and I remember how much race was a big part of that character, how much 
defying what he was being told was a big part of the character. And the way that he's being described by the main character, because the main character isn't likable. Yeah. It it was part of the difficult read aspect of it. But I was happy they at least did deal with that, that he met him and that he saw that he was wrong about that one person. Now, I do want to say something real quick, but and I, I want Aaron to, to voice his opinion on this book. Um, yeah, but just from... Uh, an overall standpoint what i find interesting you know we, we spent three episodes of this podcast talking about batman three jokers we're now spending this episode talking about the other history of dc universe both are heavily informed by stories that are over 30 years now right the killing yep. joke and cosmic odyssey um, and what i find interesting about that is that those books are so ingrained in the DC universe, despite the fact that they weren't six-issue crossovers, they didn't have fifty tie-in books. You know, Killing Joke <laughs> was a prestige format one-shot, and Cosmic right. Odyssey was a prestige format four-issue series. No, no tie-ins, no crossover books. It was it was its own singular entity, and it it, it was so well received. Um, you know, from Jim Starlin and Mike Mignola. Uh, and the rest of the creative team, that it still informs books 32 years later. It's, it started in 1988, and I just find that crazy to me. Like, you know, it, how how often do you see Infinite Crisis, as much as we love it, or Identity Crisis? Well, Identity Crisis wasn't a, a crossover, but Infinite Crisis or Final Crisis refer to outside of the context of the latest crossover, right? Like right. Death Metal certainly refers to them. But do you see Infinite Crisis randomly referred to, you know, in books? No. And I, I just find that interesting, like, the the current model of comic book crossovers is not, it doesn't seem to learn from the truly iconic storylines. They don't turn on character. Yeah. They turn on plot. Yeah. And character is the thing that survives. Yeah. Um, I, 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 you're absolutely right, Paul. Uh, you know, the... Cosmic Odyssey is is and was defining for Jon Stewart. Mm -hmm. And Jon Stewart's a major character in the DC universe. So, you know, every time you can't talk about Jon Stewart that you don't talk about John, uh, Cosmic Odyssey. You know, you just can't mm -hmm. do it. Um, the reason why we don't continue to talk about Final Crisis in the context of these books and Infinite Crisis in the context of these books is that they don't really turn on character. It's, you know, it's about a thing happening and we have to stop the thing. Yeah. And once you stop the thing, it's not relevant anymore unless you 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 put some character mustard on it. And I, I absolutely dearly love Infinite Crisis. But, Same. you know, it's just a big event book. And, you know, it's and, you know, it doesn't it doesn't have any lasting impact on character. Whereas I'll say identity crisis does. Yeah. It just got away from continuity. That's the only problem with identity right. crisis. Otherwise yeah. it probably will, would still be. It would absolutely to. still stand because of what happens to Sue and mm -hmm. what happened, what happened to those characters on the other side and Dr. Light, Dr. Light and all of those guys. I mean, that was all character, right? Um, you just, you just don't have that in those books. I, I really, liked this book i really appreciated this book um it was a challenging read um it is uh it, it is challenging having a lot of that in your face the whole time um i will say i had another one of those moments like i had with mandalorian when they dropped uh 
when they dropped the name uh, oh, now now it's gives Thrawn. Uh, basically, when they make mention Odyssey or not Odyssey Mosaic, mm-hmm. I had right. that moment of I read those books. I remember yeah. that book. Yeah, and that was that same moment of nostalgia hit of oh wow they're mentioning something I really read and loved. Well, one of the things that I really enjoyed about the book was the you know using the style, the layouts of you know covers from the era and from the stories that that he's tapping into. Uh, you know, like the, the outsiders and uh, legends of the dark Knight and those kinds of things. Um, it was great, you know, seeing another artist take his, his, uh, his stab at those uh, and understanding where it's placing. Cause that, that's a really nice way, you know, for someone who's familiar with those books to understand where Jefferson Pierce is in, in, in the history and in the story. Uh I thought, like I said, I, I think it was a really challenging read. It was, it was a read that I, I very much enjoyed and appreciated. And I'll pick up the next issue. I think I'm yeah. in for this series. So I want to throw out something technical with this. It was a very challenging read because of the story and what was being said. It was not a challenging read because of Guided View. In that we are dealing with paragraphs of text, but Guided View zoomed you right in and it was easy to read everything. And you didn't have to zoom in on your own. And they did a very good job with guided view and walls of text. I would agree with that. I, I found it very helpful. Yeah. So, I certainly I know, used guided view more in this book than I do in normal books because um, of there's so being so much text on the page. And I don't have the whatever, the gargantuan iPad Pro that Aaron has. I, I have a Pro, but I've got the smaller version. Um, so, I mean. He's got a wee little version. A wee little Pro. Um, but I, you know, I, I used it to, to zoom in cause I have old man eyes now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you on the old man eyes. I, it's a great book. I, I, I very much enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, um, from, from looking at the history of the DC universe, now we're going to kind of focus briefly on the future of the DC universe. The future, uh, the future, because you know the future as... that apparently didn't have guided view. <laughs> yeah, boy, that was annoying, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, th- this month, as we wrap up this month, we're pretty much wrapping up most of our DC books. Uh, you know, most of the DC titles are coming to a conclusion for uh, roughly, I think, about two or three months. Uh, maybe f- actually, now I think it's yeah, about three months. Because um, in the month of December, we're going to have uh, a crossover uh, taking place instead of most of the main DC titles called Endless Winter by friend of the podcast, friends of the podcast, Ron Mars and Andy Lanning. Um, no, wait, we had Dan Abnett, not Andy Lanning. Uh, well, friend of the podcast, Ron Mars and Andy Lanning. <laughs> um, well, he's he's friend of the podcast adjacent. Friend of the podcast adjacent, <laughs> Andy Lanning. Um, you know, doing a, a crossover book called Endless Winter that I'm I'm quite psyched for. There's been some preview art on uh, Ron Mars's uh, Twitter feed that that really interests me, and I'm looking forward to that storyline. And following that, um, you know, with, when Death Metal ends, it, it will unleash the Omniverse, um, which is kind of a, a all continuities matter um, statement as it relates to DC universe of the DC universe. And that will kind of lead into February and March being this DC future state um, where we'll get two months of uh, a number of nothing but peaks into potential futures of the DC universe. And so this, this, this week they released um, 
a preview and a preview book of DC Future State, which featured a look at all the continuities coming up, the, all the character designs, and most interestingly to me, the timeline. Because I don't know about you guys, but I was trying to keep up with the timelines and i got confused as shit because there are so many different timelines some books take place five years in the future some take place 10 years in the future some books take place 40 years in the future there's all these different timelines that will be taking place simultaneously in these books that um i hope is less confusing in context than it is out of context in this preview book i'll be honest paul i didn't notice the timeline until you just said it because I didn't read most of this. It wasn't guided view. I tried to read it. It just, I don't care. So I looked at the art in it, and that was about it. Oh, really? I, I thought, yeah. I, I found it, I read every word of this book. I found it fa- I found some of the concepts genuinely fascinating, um, including the, the look at the House of El. Um, you know, it's kind of the, the, kind of the King Thor version of Superman, as well as the Superman Worlds at War. Um, I love the character designs. Uh, I, you know the 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 new bat the next Batman and the, you know what's happening in Gotham City under the magistrate. Um, it, there are some high concepts going on over these the two months of DC Future State that I'm intrigued by, and I was already there's intrigued a couple by, things but, I'm interested, in, but for the most part, I just want Future State to be over so we can get back to our regular books. But here's my thing, and I, I know Aaron's staying suspiciously quiet. Do I really want to get back to the regular books? Because I'm not reading Batman. I'm not reading Superman. So maybe these books need a kick in the pants and, and some changes for me to be interested in them again. Because I, Batman and Superman are my favorite comic book characters, but I'm not reading either title. Um, nor do I have any plans to. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, I, but you do I, have a point there. All of the best DC books I'm reading right now are all the alternate reality ones Mm -hmm. the injustice and uh you know books like that yeah so Aaron, did you did you read this or did you uh skip kind of breeze through it well i did i did pick and choose Mm -hmm. what i I read about and like yourself i am uh, really interested in the superman books i mean like uh superman worlds of war and superman of metropolis look fantastic to Mm -hmm. me uh, and, you know, I understand what Wayne's saying. He doesn't care about this. But, you know, it took convergence to bring us uh, Jonathan Kent. Uh, I'm wondering what other wonderful thing will happen from this, because this is very much like convergence and Flashpoint. Yeah. Uh, and we had great stuff land from Flashpoint. Well, um, I think convergence was a book I was excited about. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about this because, you know, one of the. One of the things that I find perpetually annoying about comics is that we tend to live in the second act. Uh, this allows it to have a beginning, middle, and end. You know, yeah, this we kind of see a, the end of a lot of the characters, which I find interesting. You know, we'll we'll see, at least as advertised, we're going to see the Wonder Woman at the end of time. You know, the, yeah. the House of L, the Old Man Superman. Those are stories that, you know, like I just kind of talked about these out of continuity stories that if they land. Or like convergence, like you just mentioned. Yeah. If they land, they will become in continuity stories. You know. And, and I didn't particularly like convergence because I felt like a lot of the writing there was just off. You know. Mm-hmm. But uh, it we did get some good things out of it, right? Um, I thought Flashpoint was was really well done, and I think there's a reason why Flashpoint was as successful as it was. I'm hoping the same here. I think it's great when you bring in new talent and just say, go to town, guys. 
um, and you know you're, you got three months to to do X, Y, and Z. And then here's the important thing: is it puts all new talent on the Superman books mm-hmm. after the conclusion of this? Because I got to tell you, Bendis is killing me over on the Superman books. There are things that I like about him, but he's paired up with John Romita Jr., and that is some craptastic artwork. And I was telling the guys before we started today that this week's issue of Action Comics literally has some of the worst art in a comic book I have ever seen. I mean, it was like uh, Superman had been bashed in the head uh, and had a super swollen forehead through most of the book. It was ridiculous, ridiculously bad. I Mm. can't believe that that the art director allowed that stuff to go to print. Aaron, you might have hit on something there that is why I've... I love Flashpoint, and I was excited about Convergence. I think you may have hit on something about why this is not something I'm excited about. I don't tend to like these you know, slight jumps into the future looks because we know those futures will never actually happen. Right. That story is never going to happen. Like an alternate reality story that's happening right now. And it's okay. That's something I can get into and enjoy. But like when they did, uh, you know, world's end and those kind of jump forward stories, I've never enjoyed any of those. And a, a big part of it is, I know that story is never going to come to pass. Well, and we're going to see things countered right away in the books. But you like Kingdom Come, right? I do. I like it as its own standalone story and well, and that's it how as I an see this. universe. And that's how I see this. This is not really what's going to happen, right? Because you know, like you said, I mean, it's comics. They're not going to they're not going to end their stories, and they're certainly not going to hold true to this and go, okay, well, in in forty years, we got to get here. <laughs> I just look at it as its own thing and you know it may be good it may not be but it, hopefully it clears the the table so that we can get back to some decent superman storytelling yeah and you know uh, in the end I will probably pick up more dc books than I normally would uh-huh. um over these try next few months mm-hmm, just to try them yeah. out yeah. yeah there's a few that I'm really interested in but I the batman books are more interesting to me than the superman in this series See, I'm the other way around. Even though the Batman books do intrigue me, I'm more interested in the Superman uh, stories because I, I, I the Worlds of War is totally my jam. I'm really interested in the Wonder Woman books. Yeah, the Wonder Woman books look fascinating to me. So So, I, I guess we'll get a a couple of different viewpoints. uh, You know, as we get into February. So February is when these start. Yes, Uh, I think February could be January. I believe it's February though. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Hey, Paul. Yes, sir. What's coming out next week? Well, next week is actually a pretty decent size week in comic books um, and, and here on the podcast. We will get the first issue of Batman Catwoman from Tom King and Clay Man. Um, this is the original. I don't, I don't know why I thought that book was already out. um you know this is uh this is the first of his 12 parts um dc black label series that was going to originally be the conclusion of his batman arc uh Mm -hmm. starts next week is anyone picking that up well i i I, again i thought it was already out so instead of already having not bought it i'm gonna have to not buy it next week (laughs) (laughs) i will probably pick it up because of the appearance of phantasm uh-huh. So we'll see. Um, all right. All so, right. Well, I'm just going to have to not buy it. Okay. Right. <laughs> so we have What next... else am I not buying next week, Paul? Well, you will probably buy Deceased Dead Planet, Issue 6, the penultimate issue of the new Deceased um, 
you know, book. Also, Justice League Endless Winter from Andy Lanning, Ron Mars, and Howard Porter, issue one next week. Um, I think I am picking that up. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and Strange Adventures number seven. I know you're still picking up Strange Adventures. Now, I am. From, because those adventures, they're so strange. They're strange. Um, from Image Comics, we have That Texas Blood, issue six, which if you <sighs> haven't picked it up yet, pick up that freaking book. It's amazing. Um, and from Marvel, we get a pretty big twofer. We get Thor issue ten, featuring the the you know prey issue uh, part two, the the, the Donald Blake storyline that really kind of caught us off guard. And the big issue release from Marvel Comics is King in Black issue one, um, the new uh, crossover from Donny Cates and Ronnie Steg excuse me Ryan Stegman, um, featuring uh, Null coming to earth the 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 sequel to absolute carnage and uh, i will definitely be picking that up because i i quite enjoyed absolute carnage you know i enjoyed I, absolute carnage but this feels too big oh like, I, I, i'm I feel sure like i don't need I'm to read any it, of the crossover yes yeah, i feel like if i'm gonna buy it i'm gonna end up buying too many books i'm gonna give the first issue a shot oh, yeah. i uh i wasn't going to buy it but i have been enjoying so much of what donny cates is throwing out there uh I may have to pick it up. Oh, I'm gonna okay. wait and see. I'm gonna take a look at the preview pages. But I, you know, if all you, that if money you're not self... spending on Batman, Catwoman, you can spend on that instead. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, it sounds like a lot. A lot next week. Uh, we had uh, we had a lot of conversation this week, and we want to hear what you have to say. Give us a call. 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you'll want a coveted, valuable ideology of madness surprise. You can also hit us up on social media, IOM Geek on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. What a deal. Well, we'll see you guys next week. And, uh, you know, I may still be eating on some turkey by then. So. Hopefully not. Two week old <laughs> turkey. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.